Hey everyone, it's great to see you. My name is Jono, if you don't know me, and it's now time for our Bible reading for this afternoon. And that is from Luke chapter 16, verses 1 to 13. I'll give you a moment to find that in your Bible, otherwise it should be on the screen as well. Okay, let's begin reading. Now he said to the disciples, there was a rich man who received an accusation that his manager was squandering his possessions. So he called the manager in and asked, what is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management because you can no longer be my manager. Then the manager said to himself, what will I do since my master is taking the management away from me? I'm not strong enough to dig. I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do so that I know what I'll do so that when I'm removed from management, people will welcome me into their homes. So he summoned each one of his master's debtors. How much do you owe my master? He asked the first one. A hundred measures of olive oil, he said. Take your invoice, he told him. Sit down quick, quickly and write 50. Next, he asked another. How much do you owe? A hundred measures of wheat, he said. Take your invoice, he told him, and write 80. The master praised the unrighteous manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the children of this age are more shrewd than the children of light in dealing with their own people. And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of worldly wealth, so that when it fails, they may welcome you into eternal dwellings. Whoever is faithful in very little is also faithful in much. And whoever is unrighteous in very little is also unrighteous in much. So if you have not been faithful with worldly wealth, who will trust you with what is genuine? And if you have not been faithful with what belongs to someone else, who will give you what is your own? No servant can serve two masters, since either he will hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Hey, Jono. Hello, everybody. All right, how about we pray and then we'll have a bit of a think about uh, what Jesus is teaching us here in his word. Our dear Lord, we, uh, we thank you so much for your word to us in the Gospel of Luke. And we ask this evening, Father, that you would shape our hearts and our thoughts and our attitudes and our actions by the conviction of your word and by the power of your spirit. Please help us, Lord, to be doers of your word and not just hearers. Amen. Uh, well, uh, as Tim mentioned, this is the last week of our summer series and the title of the summer series has been Asking for a Friend. And so uh, I think today is a great opportunity uh, to look at something that many churchy people would like to ask about, uh, but at the same time as they'd like to ask about it, they don't want to ask about it. Uh, perhaps it's something that we can find a bit too controversial. Perhaps we feel it's too personal or too private. Uh, perhaps we're just scared of what the answer might be. Uh, but it does involve one of the key habits of a follower of Jesus. Uh, and it also happens to be one of his favourite uh, parable topics. And as a bonus, it's got a really cool Bible word as well. So today we're kind of talking about mammon, 
I don't know if you've heard the word mammon. It's a bit of, a, a bit of an old word in uh, some of the older Bible translations. Mammon is a word that simply means uh, worldly wealth. So mainly money, but also uh, property and possessions. So that's mammon. And now the parable itself it goes for just eight verses, but uh, it is one of uh, the most notoriously uh, disputed and difficult perhaps um, parables that Jesus told. And uh, I think that's mostly because people get very creative in trying to fill in the details that just aren't there. Um, The good news for us, though, is that uh, there is not much writing on those details and uh, what Jesus teaches here is actually abundantly clear if we have ears to hear. Uh, So I'm going to stick with a simple approach. Jesus told this story about a manager, uh, we might call him a steward. So a steward is somebody that a rich person employs to manage their property or their fi- and their finances. Now in the parable, the steward's master, who is the rich man of verse 1, well, he calls his steward in uh, on a Friday afternoon and he says, listen, steward, Listen, mate, um, I've been hearing uh, some bad stuff about you. And I, I, you know, I put my wealth, my property, my possessions, my money, my investments, I put the management of them into your hands uh, because I wanted you to manage it wisely for me. But uh, I hear that you've actually been wasting my money, squandering it. So pack up your gear. But uh, before you go and I officially fire you, I would like you to present me with the book so that I've got an idea of how much damage you've done. So off you go. So the steward goes home, shuts the door, sits down and he thinks to himself, this is not good. I, I, that's, this is how I make a living. How am I going to make a living now? How am I going to get money? How am I going to provide for my future? Certainly not by manual labour. I mean, my hands are all beautiful and soft now and I don't want to wreck those. And uh, I'm not going to live by begging on the street. That is definitely beneath me. So what to do? What to do? Mm. Ah, Eureka. Not sure if they used the word Eureka back then, but Eureka, I know. I will contact the guys who owe my master money and I will offer to slash the debts that they owe him. And that way they'll be in debt to me, as it were. They'll look after me, hopefully. So he calls up the first debtor and he says to the guy, so how much do you owe? And the guy says, a hundred measures of oil. Ooh, he says, that's, that's quite a lot. That's a big debt. Well, listen quickly. Um, I haven't got a lot of time, but as a favour, you know, to a friend, uh, I, uh, how about if I cut it for you, but in half, I'll cut it to 50 measures. And the guy, of course, goes, oh, great, thanks, friend, I owe you. And so then he calls up the next debtor and he says uh, to him, how much do you owe, my master? A hundred measures of wheat. Well, that's a huge amount, isn't it? Well, listen, just quickly, how about... As a favour to a friend, I cut your debt to, say, 80 measures. How would that go? And the second guy goes, wow, that's great. Thanks, friend. I owe you. And so presumably he does this with the other debtors, but we get the idea, right? But then here's the kicker. 
when the master, uh, whose money he had slashed, found out about this, he didn't get angry about these shady deals. In fact, he praised his steward. And so that's one of the first weird things about this parable. Why did he praise his steward? Well, he praised his steward because he saw that the steward had acted shrewdly. He had acted cleverly, that he had cleverly used his master's money to invest for his own future. And then in verse 9, Jesus makes this rather odd statement. He says, For the children of this age are more shrewd than the children of light in dealing with their own people. All right, so what's he saying here? Well, uh, first of all, the children of this age. Well, the children of this age would be uh, people who live for this age, who live for this life and, and for this immediate future. And so these sort of people live and expect to be around for the next 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 years. And so because of that, they invest and they spend and they manage their finances accordingly. And Jesus says that many of them do it very well. They're very clever about it. Well, if that's them, then the children of light, therefore, must be who we might call the elect or the enlightened ones, uh, people who today we would call Christians. But according to Jesus, many Christians aren't being clever about using what's in their bank accounts compared to non-Christians. Why would that be? Well, his point is that they're not using their master's wealth to prepare for their eternal future. They should know better, but instead they're squandering it all on this life. But Jesus expects his followers to be different to that. And so he gives them this very direct advice. Verse 9, And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of worldly wealth, so that when it fails, they may welcome you into eternal dwellings. Now, I don't know if you noticed there, but he doesn't say if it fails, but when it fails. Uh, there's uh, a story about at the billionaire's funeral, uh, somebody asked the billionaire's accountant exactly how much money did he leave behind? And the answer is all of it. You don't take a cent of it with you when you die, no matter how much you have stored up and, and, and how rich you are. It doesn't go with you. And uh, even the most expensive and best medical care that we can get, uh, if, you, if you're using your money to keep you alive and having a long and healthy life, that's great. But the most you're going to get is probably about 100 years or so, okay? Now, 100 years might sound like an awful long time, and in for one respect it is, but, but not compared to eternity. Eternity is a much, much longer time than 100 years. And so Jesus' point is that surely that is the future that you and I should be investing in. But how can we do that? How can we invest our mammon, our money, in our future? Well, Jesus then says that like the unjust steward, we should use worldly wealth to make friends for eternity. And when you think about it, using worldly wealth to make friends for eternity is exactly what happens when we put our money into 
gospel ministry. So I want you to imagine with me for a moment. Imagine one day you are in heaven and when you get there, you are thanked and welcomed by men and women and children from our local church and from the surrounding community who, uh, who thank you because over the years you supported the ministry of this church with your giving. Imagine what that would be like. Imagine how wonderful it would be to be welcomed and thanked in heaven by people from all over the world, from other countries and other nations, people who speak different languages, people we've never met, but people who heard about Jesus and were able to respond to the gospel because we supported missionary workers overseas and gospel workers overseas. Imagine what that would be like. Imagine how wonderful it would be to be thanked by Jesus for your faithfulness in this area of your life, that with your money you put the kingdom of God first and the saving of other people to the glory of God and the building up of other Christians to the glory of God. And imagine how much joy it gives God now when he sees us using the wealth that he's entrusted to us to help others know Jesus. Can you imagine that? Well, that, that all comes with a generous lifestyle. So how do we develop this lifestyle of generosity to God's kingdom? Well, it, it's all about trust, uh, but it involves our attitudes to money as well. And so the next words of Jesus are about faithfulness and trust and the relative value of worldly wealth. But as we read this, there are a couple of attitudes that Jesus has towards money that we will find quite challenging. They're very, uh, let's say, countercultural for where we are in uh, society. So the first is this. Money just isn't as valuable as we think it is. I'll say it again. Money just isn't as valuable as we think it is. Now, many of us do consider money to be very valuable for uh, security, for happiness, for health, for pleasure, for freedom. We associate all these things with money and the more we have, the more of that we have. And I mean, let's face it, there's a lot that you can have when you have a lot of money. And so it's pretty confronting then in verses 10 and 11 when Jesus talks about money or mammon as a, a very little thing. So here we go, 10, 11, Who is, whoever is faithful in very little is also faithful in much. And whoever is unrighteous in very little is also unrighteous in much. So if you have not been faithful with worldly wealth, who will trust you with what is genuine? It, it can be hard to believe to internalise, but our worldly wealth really is a very little thing. Uh, and it is when we consider what God has in store for us in eternity. You know, the riches that are waiting in heaven. Fort Knox, the gold might as well be fool's gold compared to the riches that are waiting for us in heaven. And so compared to the riches of heaven, 
money just isn't as valuable as you and I think it is. Now, the second uh, attitude of Jesus then is this, that your money isn't actually yours at all. <laughs> now, I, I've hinted at this a couple of times already, uh, but have a listen closely to verse 12. Jesus says, If you have not been faithful with what belongs to someone else, who will give you what is your own? Now, he's talking about mammon here, money, wealth, possessions. So isn't it interesting how he just casually assumes that what we tend to think of as our wealth actually belongs to someone else? So that asks the next question, doesn't it? If it's not your money, well then, whose is it? Well, Deuteronomy 10, 14 uh, has an answer for us. The heavens, indeed the highest heavens, belong to the Lord your God, as does the earth and everything in it. And Psalm 24 says the same, the earth and everything in it belong to the Lord. Everything is God's. God made everything. He created everything. He gives us everything. We, we live off it. Uh, we uh, manage it. But ultimately, it's, it's not ours. It's all his. It's simply passing through our hands, if you like. Remember, the dishonest steward, of course, wasn't using his own money for his future, was he? He was using his master's wealth. And that is the same with us. Just like the stewards in, it's steward in the parable, we are stewards of our master's wealth. Now, you might at this point be kind of objecting your head and going, now, wait a minute, Terry, I think that we've gone a bit too far here. Uh, you know, I, the money that is in my bank account, I worked for it, I worked hard, I earned it, uh, I did a lot to get into position uh, to, uh, to have this, uh, this situation that I'm in. And uh, it, it's, look, you're saying it's God's money, but it sure feels like my money. Uh, well, I have to break it gently to you. That, that is not exactly an original argument. Uh, this is again from the book of Deuteronomy. So the book of Deuteronomy uh, is, is one of the oldest books in that Bible. I mean, it's, it's thousands of years old. Uh, so... Chapter 8, 17 to 18. You may say to yourself, my power and my own ability have gained this wealth for me. But remember that the Lord your God gives you the power to gain wealth. There's no sidestepping it. <laughs> the money that is in your bank account and mine is God's money, uh, all of it. And, and that's actually a really great attitude to internalise and have. Uh, not because, well, not just because, sorry, it makes us thankful, because it, it should make us very thankful uh, that we that God graciously gives us all this stuff to use. Um, but but also, if it's actually not my money, it's, it's God's money, well, that kind of makes it a lot easier for me to give back to God, knowing that it's his anyway, isn't it? And so, yes, we can, we can use some of it to uh, look after ourselves and our families and uh, to enjoy and celebrate uh, milestones in life and to uh, build relationships and uh, even to enjoy the creation that God has given us. And, you know, God has very generously made it possible for us to do all of that. 
but but he hasn't given us all of this to spend it all on ourselves and on this life. That he doesn't want us to squander it the way that the steward was squandering his master's money. Rather, God loves watching us being faithful with his wealth and he loves seeing us using it for his kingdom and his glory, uh, helping the poor and the disadvantaged around the world. There are so many people who are doing it a lot tougher than we are here in Australia. Um, When we invest in the spread of the gospel, uh, when we support faithful ministries and faithful ministers and faithful churches, uh, both here um, and elsewhere in the world and in Australia, God loves it when we do that. It pleases him. Everything you have belongs to God and money just isn't as important as you think it is. Do you truly believe those two things? What I mean is not do you believe me, but do you believe Jesus? Would you, will you uh, take on those attitudes of Jesus and make real financial choices in the future based on Jesus' words. Are you going to be wise with your wealth and use it happily and cheerfully for God's glory and God's kingdom? Now, this is this is really this is real, this is important sort of stuff. It is not just theoretical. So it's not this is not just a philosophical debate. At the end of the day, this is actually becomes boots on the ground sort of stuff. Uh, and, and it's actually really important for us as well because, you know, Jesus actually goes on to say that how we treat the wealth that God puts through our hands is actually a test of our faith. I don't know if you notice that. Verse 10, let's listening to verse 10 again. Whoever is faithful in very little is also faithful in much. Whoever is unrighteous in very little is also unrighteous in much. So remember, the very little here is mammon. Technically then, this is a small test, a little thing, isn't it? Technically, but Jesus is saying that this is actually an an acid test for our faith. So when you you invest in uh, cold hard cash in what God's doing rather than what you are wanting to be doing when you are generous uh, in God's name, you're simply demonstrating, living out, if you like, your trust in Jesus as your Lord. And you, at the same time, you're being a good and faithful servant, a good steward of God's riches. So with all that positive vibe stuff, um, you'd expect this kind of financial generosity just to almost come naturally, as it were, that it, that it would be automatically something that we're all happy and willing to do. But uh, I suspect, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I suspect that many of us will struggle with obeying Jesus wholeheartedly in this. Um, just because deep down, many of us still believe that wealth is the key to security and happiness. So much so that money can become our God 
and we can become its slave. And that, that is exactly what Jesus warns us about in verse 13. So let me read that. No servant can serve two masters, since either he will hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. It's very challenging, isn't it? Because we do, we love money because of the material stuff it provides and the security that we feel that it brings us. And there's no denying that it does that if we choose to spend it all on ourselves and use it all on ourselves. There's no denying that money does those things. And, you know, really in purely worldly terms, I don't know about you, but I would rather be rich than poor any day. But that's exactly the point, isn't it? You know, if your focus, like most people in the world's focus is, is to live for this world and this future, if you're thinking of your future in terms of getting a nice car or getting a, a house uh, or having a holiday or in the future living a retirement lifestyle or, you know, that sort of mindset or attitude, well, then diverting money towards eternity and towards the kingdom of God, was that's a really dumb thing to do <laughs> if that's your mindset. Uh, Although I do have to say you, we, it's worth remembering that one day your master is going to call you in and he's going to ask you to give an account for how you managed his wealth. So there is that. Uh, there's also, though, a cost now. Um, you know, love, as we said, love it too much and money will enslave you. Um, we, we serve what we love and so... Uh, once money enslaves us, it, it, what it will mean is that we keep taking our eyes off Jesus and the kingdom and eternity. And, and so it will actually take the place of God in our heart. We'll trust money rather than trusting God. So how then do you free yourself from something like that, from something that is potentially will enslave you? Well, well, what you need then is a changed heart, don't you? Now, thankfully, uh, as Craig would say, I know a guy, um, God is in the heart-changing business and nothing is impossible for him. Uh, ultimately, financial generosity as part of a general life, generous lifestyle, ultimately it is a matter of the heart. It's not a grit your teeth and do it because you have to kind of thing. It's, it's a matter of, of the heart and, and what you love and who you love. And uh, I try to sometimes say to people uh, that your, your bank statement is actually a theological statement as well because it tells you who and what you worship. Um, so it's a matter of a heart. So because it's a matter of a heart, we need God's help. We need God's transformation. And so... The first step would always be to ask God to help us make Jesus our master in this little thing, this little part of our lives, to, to trust him and not the money that he puts through our hands and to focus on him and his kingdom and not on us and our world. And so the more we do that, 
the more we trust Jesus and we, the less we trust our bank accounts, the more that you'll find yourself using your money shrewdly, cleverly for Jesus and his kingdom. And you'll be doing it gladly. You'll be doing it cheerfully. And perhaps you'll even be doing it sacrificially. And in doing so, we'll be making friends for ourselves for eternity in heaven. Let me pray. Dear Lord, we pray that you really would transform our hearts, that we would really live more and more a generous lifestyle for your kingdom and your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.